There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Welcome to No Mere Mortals Cover to Cover series. The Cover to Cover series is a chronological journey through the moments in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation centered on the main character of Jesus Christ. In 2020, the Lord directed the start of the Cover to Cover series that originally began as weekly installments for Sunday morning youth teachings at a local church. In 2023, the Cover to Cover series will move to being a podcast series and Lord willing will continue to be weekly installments. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. And Lord, I do just want to echo that prayer that uh, you would keep all distractions at bay. Lord, every opportunity we get to open up your word is an opportunity to experience you by your spirit through your word. And by experiencing you, we come to know you more. And in knowing you, we can become more like you. In your son's name, amen. You guys can have a seat. So where we have come in the book of Judges is that there was this uh, 40-year period of rest that we've seen in this sin cycle. And after the 40 years, after the last judge, is we saw that the Amalekites, these giant clans, uh, and the Midianites have turned all of Israel from south to north. Uh, They have turned it into a ghost town. Again, if you've watched any kind of like old Western, there would always be that moment where, you know, some guy would come into town and you'd see the tumbleweed going along and just kind of like everyone would kind of clear out or they would, oh, the bandit's coming through and everyone would lock themselves up. Uh, in my head, I can't help it. There's this old Popeye where he's like in the desert and the crew goes through and he's like sitting there trying to eat. And every time he tries to eat something, they run through and they take the food out of his hand. And then it's, it's kind of that scene where it's like, it seems like every time somebody's getting ready to even just enjoy a meal, they come flying through and take it out of their hand. It's so much so, if you guys remember, that, that Gideon is actually in a wine press, not up on a hill, just trying to make his daily bread. He's so afraid that literally just the meal he's making for that day could be taken out of his hand. And we see this scene, and God ends up sending a prophet. And this prophet is like a doctor, because he comes to pronounce a diagnosis. See, the the giants and and all of that, that's a symptom. But God sends this prophet uh, to give us this diagnosis. He says, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. I also said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So again, this whole scene, this this ghost town of an Israel, that is actually just a symptom that the sickness was this rebellion and disobedience. And once again, this, this horrible problem we as humans have of forgetting the God who saved us and loves us. And what we see in the midst of that is that the Lord Jesus himself comes down like a traveler and sits beneath this, this terebinth tree, an oak tree, much like he did to Abraham years before. And under, under this oak tree, he sees Gideon in there beating the, the wheat and, and trying to just make that daily bread. And he sees him in this place of fear. And he declares to Gideon in that place of fear and anxiety for his daily bread. He says to him, you are Gabar Hael. You are a mighty man of valor. 
And again, God's not being facetious. Jesus isn't, isn't trying to be tongue-in-cheek here where, where he, he's you know, trying to make fun of him. No, it's quite the opposite, that he declares to him that you are a mighty man of valor. And what he's saying to him is it's not your circumstances, it's not your performance, it's God saying, this is what I'm going to do in and through you. In fact, he tells him where this, this strength comes from. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. To let him know that his strength is not from his own ability to perform or to keep some ritual rules. It is what God's saying, no, I'm going to do this in you. And that we see in this moment again that Jesus comes to Gideon in his place of fear and speaks peace. But that peace is found in the presence of of Jesus. And again there we would see that it says that Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. Again that is that Jehovah Shalom, that one of seven different combinations of that starting with Abraham of Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides and getting all the way to the place of the New Testament with the eighth of new beginnings name Jehovah Shua or in the Greek Jesus. That is where we find our peace and our glory. That is where we find our strength is in glorifying the one who loves us. And then Gideon asks a very real question. Gideon asks, okay, wait, if the Lord's with us, if Yahweh's here, why is all of this happening? Why, why the ghost town? Why are all these bad things going on? And he's pointing out the symptoms. And God says, you're absolutely right. These symptoms are terrible. And then he gives him the answer as told by the prophet. He says, so how about this? How about we start with the evil in your own home? As we come to find out that Gideon's dad is like the hair care, head caretaker of the uh, idol to Baal. And so God says, he even pronounces, this is where the symptom starts, is that many times we'll look at the problems of the world. God, why, why are all these things happening? And God gives an answer, but his starting point is, why don't we start in your home? There are things going on in this world, and I've come to take care of them, and I want to start right in your own home. And then what we see is that Gideon, in obedience, destroys an entire grove of a phallic monuments and uses it as kindling to then burn the idol of Baal. And in doing so, it says there in 630, that says the men of the city of Joash said to Joash, his dad, bring out your son that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wood image that was beside it. And you have this moment going, wait, what, what is happening here? This gives you an indication of where Israel is. You, you ask the questions of why are these bad things happening? Things have gotten so backwards in Israel, that they're ready to kill Gideon because he put an end and destroyed an idol. When we're told in Deuteronomy that go, no, to, to worship another God, that's the death sentence. And this is a moment where man has called evil good and good evil. Isaiah would give this warning of woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And so if you guys are actually there, Let's look at uh, chapter 6, verse 31. It says, But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself, because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day he called him, speaking of his son Gideon, Jerubabel, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he has torn down his altar. So his dad, in, in seeing what his son does, grows his backbone and goes, wait a second, you guys are all upset because he tore down the idol to this God? If this, if this God really was a God, why didn't he strike down my son? And in fact, that's why he names his son Zerubbabel. Let Baal plead for himself. 
Again, we're going to see this kind of language later with, with Elijah. He's in front of the prophets of Baal, and, and they're, they're going through this, this process of cutting themselves for over six hours. They get to about midday, and, and the, still no response from Baal. And so he goes, oh, well, maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's using the restroom. Why don't you try screaming louder? Again, it's this idea of going, if these really are gods before Yahweh, let them plead their case. And we ended last week looking at the fact that as we see who God is making Gideon to be and who he called him, this man of fear and anxiety yet declared a mighty man of valor. First Corinthians tells us, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that which are mighty. And the base things which the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And now in 6.33 it says, Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. And so what has happened is, is that word has gotten out. Gideon was afraid that making his daily bread that they were going to come in and try and take it from him. And now Gideon has made a declaration. He's cut down that idol. He made a giant burn pile. It's as if the signal goes up and those on the east side see the smoke and the call to war. And so they are now gathering to invade and to attack. But the Spirit of the Lord, verse 34 of chapter 6 says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abizarites gathered behind him. That's his family. The guys who were just about to kill him, as they see the enemy approaching, and Gideon not backing down blows the shofar, is that the family is now gathering around. And, and, and how did this change happen? How did Gideon go from that man to this man? And we're told there that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. What's interesting is that that word is clothed himself. Guys, what I, what I find interesting, and we've talked about this, and hopefully you guys have picked up, and we, we try and point out how much the enemy likes to try and counterfeit Yahweh. And yet when we see the enemy counterfeiting, it only points to a truth of who God really is as they try and take on for themselves titles and things that belong only to God. What's interesting is that there's a very popular anime out there where th these main characters, the whole essence of their power is that they have a demon that resides inside of them. And it's as if when, when, when trouble comes, what really, to access this power, it's as if, as if bubbling over like a liquid that this person is clothed with this demonic power. And the phrase that's even used is that it, they're, they're cloaked in it. Oh, they, they have the, de the demon cloak on them. That's when, oh, things are about to get serious. And again, there's, I hope you guys will see that there's, there's a counterfeit truth here. It's where the demonic forces come along to say, oh, we, we want you to be clothed in us. And yet Yahweh comes along in the exact opposite and says, no, I want to clothe myself with you. Is that Yahweh comes along as if, again, there's this, this backwards, upside-down counterfeit, and these demons want to say, we want you to take on us our look, our form. I want, we want to cloak you. And, and Yahweh comes along and says, I want to come upon you. I, I, want, I, want, I want to have it like a, like a, like a glove where, where really he is the one who 
is clothing himself with us. That we have full access to that unlimited, omnipotent power of Yahweh himself. And he says, I want to come and reside in you and not just a part of it. I want to fill every bit. Isaiah 61.10, speaking again of this, of this cloak, of not only does he want to, to clothe us, have himself clothed with us, but then he, he also says, I'm going to give you the clothing of my righteousness. 61.10 of Isaiah says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. See, many times when you'll hear Christians say things like, well, I just, I need to get more of the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit needs to get more of us. We need to give more and more of ourselves to him who wants to clothe us in the garments of his righteousness so that he can reflect himself through us of who he has made you to be. It says, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. I'm going to have you guys jump to chapter 7. Now, as you guys are going there in chapter 7, Gideon has this moment where there's this thing within kind of the Christianese world where they'll say, hey, I'm putting out a fleece. And they pull that from Gideon at the end of that chapter. It's where Gideon is like, okay, I know you're calling me to war, but how about this? I'm going to put out a fleece, and if uh, the, the fleece is wet and the ground is, is dry, then, then I'll know that you're with me. And then it ends up being that that's exactly what happens. He goes, ah, don't get mad at me, but you know, maybe the ground's absorbent and the fleece isn't. So how about we do it in opposite and all the ground is wet and the fleece is not, and then that exactly happens. And then it leads us into chapter seven. It says, then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Haran, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moriah in the valley. Now, when we look at chapter eight, um, which we're not going to get to today, but it gives us some insight of the numbers. Just to give you guys some numbers, right now, Gideon and his army with his family rallying behind him is about 32,000 men. And it gives us the number of the Amalekites that have camped against them, which they can see, which is 135,000. So right now, as Israel stands, it is a one Israelite to every four Amalekites, Midianites combo. So it's a, it's a kind of four to one ratio against Israel. Okay, verse 2, and the Lord said to Gideon, right? he said, don't worry, Gideon, I got you covered. I'm bringing an army. Oh, that, that's not what it says. It says, the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. So they're at a four to one discrepancy, and God comes along and says, Gideon, you see that? Oh, yeah, I see them. And I'm sure Gideon's waiting, all right, Lord, bring it on. Where's the army coming in behind me? Where's my return of the king moment from Lord of the Rings? I'm going to raise my sword and the hordes are coming. And, and God goes, oh, you have too many guys. Um, too many? We're a quarter of their size. And God says, well, here's the problem. If you win, because I'm going with you. I already told you I'm going to give victory. But as it stands, that even at a quarter of the size, that human flesh is so prideful that in a four-to-one ratio, you'll think you won. You'll take glory for yourself. As we read earlier from, second, or from Corinthians, it's, we're told, but God has chosen the things that the world are saying are foolish, weak, base, and despised 
of no value. God's chosen those things so that no flesh should glory in his presence. That is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And God says, here's the problem. Even at a quarter of their size, you'll think you're something. I mean, the truth is, guys, historically, you can even look at battles. It's not like that's never happened in history. There have been battles where they're at a number discrepancy of even a quarter, and through military cunning and strength and, and ideas that they'll be able to do it. In fact, you look at Israel over and over. It's like we see this pattern continued. We see this country that's no bigger than New Jersey. They're about the size of Stanislaus County, if not a little bit smaller, and they think that they're fighting off all these hordes because they're just so great. And they have missed the fact that God has, has a promise on them. And even here, he's making that point. At a four to one, you'll try and take the glory to yourself. He says, now therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. So this is actually a already given biblical pro, uh, principle given in the book of Deuteronomy. This is something that God actually had already put in Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 8. It says, the officers shall speak further to the people saying, what man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. See, we've already seen with, with Gideon, courage is courageous, but cowardice is infectious. And God says, if these guys start turning and running, then it's going to spread throughout the camp. And so he's already given this principle. You don't want people going into battle who are then going to tuck and run because it will freak everybody out. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, gives us this life principle. It says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. So guys, be mindful who you're going into battle with because cowardice is infectious. Now, just to give you guys the numbers... So now that they're at 10,000 versus 135,000, we went from a 4 to 1 to now, and I'll go conservative, 13 to 1. It's 13.5, right? It is a 13 to 1 disadvantage to Israel. All right. But God, with you, anything is possible. Really, Gideon? Glad you said that because verse 4 says, but the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many to bring... (laughs) And bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you, and whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, and the number of those who lapped putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men but the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Now, guys, what's kind of cool is if you go to Israel, you can go to this spot where they drink from. You can actually go to this, this very spot where there's this natural spring, and they've, they, they've done all the research and all the geological, go, yep, this is the area, this is that spring that they would have come to. Um, if you guys have ever had um, the opportunity to, to go out when we have our fellowship night at the park, you know that we're, we go out to the park, and there's that play structure. They call it the Purple Park right? It's up there. Um, I bring that up because if you go to see this spring that they drink from, you are going to have in your mind this idea of this illustrious, amazing place where they drink from the water. It's probably roped off far back. (laughs) They turned it into the Purple Park. It's like, seriously, there's a play structure where everyone's playing around. People have barbecues and it's like, oh yeah, over there is Gideon's water hole. It's just a thing. 
And I bring that up only because the language goes back and forth and there's some debate on exactly you know, what the actions of which men who did what were. But you get this idea that whatever it is, is that some might have treated it like part-time. They just dove right in. And some were, were diligent and watching. And again, they kind of debate on, when they look at the language, really what form and function of which group did what. But no matter which way you cut it, here's Gideon, 32,000, 10,000. And God says, okay, take them down to the water. I'm going to split it again. And those who are left, those, I'm going to tell you, Gideon, after the water, which ones stay and which one go. And as they get to the water, the group splits 300 to 9,700. And you have to know that Gideon's probably going, I don't think he's going to send the 300 home. And what do you know? Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go to his place. And there's this moment again of stopping as God has whittled down. What was his reason to say there are too many? He says, because in your flesh, you're going to take the glory. But there's been a consistent promise from the beginning that he's been telling Gideon. Gideon, I called you the mighty man of valor because the Lord was with you. Your victory is not in your cunning. It's not in your weapons. It's to know that I am the one who's going to fight this battle with you. And he says, with 300 men, I'm going to do this. I will save you with these 300. Again, I know there's that graphic novel based out of history of the, the movie, the 300, and it becomes this, uh, again, counterfeit. Are you guys catching up on these things? Just go, yeah, that, that seems amazing and, and awesome, and go, yeah, it's a ripoff of what Yahweh has done. So the people took the provisions and trumpets in their hands and sent, he sent away all the rest, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. It happened on the same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. I want you guys to catch this part. There's been this faithful promise of, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. But he knows Gideon. But if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against this camp. What I love in this moment, I hope everyone hears this, is, is so many times scripture gets misused. Is God's not annoyed that Gideon's afraid. In fact, he knows it. He knows who he was when he called him. And again, I want you guys to see, he is mighty man of valor in his obedience, but he's still a guy who's struggling with fear and anxiety. And what God ends up doing, he says, I've got a prescription to deal with that. I understand that this is a struggle you have. And God doesn't look at Gideon and say, get over it, boy. No, he says, I want you to, do, I want you to know that, that I'm going to strengthen your hand and I've got a means by which to do it. Again, Scripture gets taken all the time when people say, oh, Bible says fear not. Yes, it says fear not and know that the Lord is with you. Stop half-quoting verses. Don't slam people who struggle with fear and anxiety. The Bible says not to fear. It says that their fear is relieved by knowing that they can be still and knowing that the Lord is God. Be anxious for nothing. Finish it. Finish it. There's a prescription there. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things with prayer and supplication, make your request known to God that God's saying, you don't have to be anxious and afraid, but when you are, know that you can bring that to me. God would declare, for I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love 
and a sound mind, that God doesn't look at the struggle that people have and dismiss them or get angry about it. He says, once again, he says, I've got a solution and it's found in him. For him to say, know that I see you, I know what's going on, and know that even when you feel afraid, even when you're still that, that man who's struggling to have fear for his daily bread, he says, no, you're the mighty man of valor because I'm with you. As Paul would remind us that again, we can learn to not be covetousness and be content in everything, knowing that we have a God who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. It says, then he went down with Pura to his servant, uh, his servant to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. Their camels were without numbers as the sand by the seashore. So they come down, and as they come down, remember he said, don't be afraid, go down to the camp. Well, as they move to the camp, it is a giant camp of giants. That is what God sent them to. Hey, don't be afraid. Go take a look. Look at this giant camp of giants. Don't worry, I told you, when you get back, it, you're going to be strengthened. All right. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. So they get up close enough. They're on the sneaky sneak mission. They're up close enough to where they can hear guys in the camp talking. And a guy is talking about his dream. And so one of the guys in the camp says, I've had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. And it came to a tent and struck it so that it fell over and overturned and the tent collapsed. Now guys, I don't know about you. I actually remember my dreams quite often. I have a recurring dream that I've had since I can remember, at least since seven years old. It's gotten to the point where I can actually manipulate my dreams quite often. Ugh, I don't like that dream. Channel click. It's annoying when it tries to jump back. But, or sometimes you're like, oh, that was a good one. And if I go back to sleep, I can go back into that dream. Just saying. I've spent time trying to analyze dreams. And, and again, you can kind of sometimes manipulate them, have discussion with people in their dreams. What? Don't think of like a loaf of bread. The way he just described it is a muffin rolled down a hill and knocked over a tent. All right. What is this about? Well, then his companion. So this is a guy who, who hears that and goes, oh, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. And to his hand, God has delivered Midian in the whole camp. Okay. Okay, not sure how you got that, but then when you start diving in, I will say I had to dive and go, muffin tent, and, and oh, that's Gideon. The barley loaf was basically the lowest quality bread that somebody could get. It was poor man's bread. And the tent that's being described, it, again, when you get into the grammars, it's not just a tent. It's basically saying this, this poor man's muffin just toppled over the commander's tent. Israel is known as the guys of the poor guys throughout. He's going, this, this little muffin man is going to take out the general. So either way, when you look at this, is that I may not have understood, but his buddy who heard the dream, he understood what it meant. And then Gideon hears the interpretation and says, and so when Gideon heard the telling of this dream and its interpretation, that he worshiped. Now, guys, I love the time we get to spend in worship together. Thankful for the gifting of Olivia and Ellen and, and their willingness to be up here and just how it brings us to this place. But I also just want to say that is a form of worship because clearly, next to the tent of Sneaky Sneak, it's not like Gideon jumped out the shofar and went, yeah, worship time! That would be ridiculous. But in his quiet place, 
He's over there going, yes. And so he's worshiping, but that worship is not always just something that we do on Sunday mornings or in a group. That is an amazing type of worship. But this lets us know that worship doesn't have to be a boxed-in thing, though enjoyable as it can be. That worship can just be there going, you're faithful to your word. I am the muffin man. That's what he's doing. Thank you, Lord. He returned to the camp of Israel and arrived, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies. And he put a trumpet into every man's hand with an empty pitcher and torches inside. What do they not have? I don't know if you guys are catching this. So Gideon is encouraged that he's going to topple over. And he goes, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take our small group of 300 and we're going to break up. And you hundred are going to go over here. You hundred are going over here. You're going to go over here. All right. Get your swords. No. No swords. Trumpets and pictures with embers in them. And then we grab the swords. Nope. This is the setup for this battle. In this absurd now, guys, at this 300 to this, we're talking about now, it's a, it, it is now a ratio of, of about 130 to 1. It's actually closer to 140. And they're not even going with swords. They're going with trumpets and pitchers. Music guys might like this, just saying. This is the weapon of God's warfare. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch. And when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet and all who are with me, then you shall also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle of watch. So this is like middle of the night, right? This is like nighttime. They're doing the, the changing of the guards. Everyone's doing the half awake thing. It's kind of sleeping, maybe like some of you guys are right now. And in this moment... It says, just as they had posted the watch, they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hand and the trumpets in their right hand for blowing. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And guys, this is, this is one of these uh, amazing moments where you just go, this is the weapons of God's warfare. What does he choose? He chooses the things that the world would call foolish and weak and base and despised. And he says, but in my hand, watch what I can do with that. To be reminded, guys, that once again, as you guys are out, who he's made you to be. Who he's made you to be. Why is he choosing this? Because he says, it's not about your circumstances. It's not even about your personal struggles or fear. God says, you are a mighty person of valor because I'm with you. And what he can do with a trumpet and a pot. To be reminded that our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And again, as we have this very interesting imagery of, of the trumpet and, and the pot, I think of 1 Thessalonians where it says, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. 
And again, in 2 Corinthians 4, we're told, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in our earthly vessels, in our pot, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And it says, And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. Now, it has been a family tradition passed down from my grandfather to my dad to me, and I have joyously passed it on to my kids. We love scaring each other. There is nothing more joyous than when you know that your parent has pulled up into the door to go, I'm going to run right behind the door, so as they close the door behind them, you give them the, blah, and they freak. I, it, it's been going on for years. I can't tell you how many times my dad my dad had snuck under my bed so as I came home doing my thing and would just reach out and grab my foot and then pull it. It's just, we, we love doing it. And yes, at already six, almost seven years old, yes, my daughter has maybe on occasion got me. You have to sometimes pull back. Don't let the hand fly. They're the little ones. Probably my favorite one of all time was, again, early marriage. I had, to, I had to acclimate my wife to what would be a family tradition. And so there's one time where I knew, I was like, okay, she's going to be in the bedroom. And so I was going to run into the bedroom to scare her. And as I'm running in to our bedroom, I didn't realize that she was to our left, to my left. So I run in. I'm running to scare her. And as I run in, that apparently scared her just that somebody was running full speed into the bedroom. And she lets out this, oh, I expected her to be over here. The voice came over from here. I went into like dead man freeze. It freaked me out. So she screams, and I froze and launched onto the bed. I put all that is because these guys were in sleepy sleep mode, changing of the guard. And out of nowhere, boom, slam, there's embers flying everywhere, and they're just yelling out, the sword of the Lord, and they're getting, and these guys just start running out. And out of nowhere, in sheer panic, not holding back their hand, they start stabby stabbing each other. God didn't need to send swords because as they freaked out, all they knew is they ran out, people must be invading, they see there, and they just start getting each other. It says, when the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. So he didn't need to bring swords. These guys freak out like someone running into a bedroom too quick. And then they react to just being afraid and they just start swinging. And they're just, they're just mowing each other down. And the army fled to Beth Acacia toward Zerar as far as the border of Abel by Tabath. And the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh and pursued the Midianites. Then Gideon sent messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize from them the watering places as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan. And all the men of Israel gathered together and seized the watering places as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan. And they captured two princes of the Midianites, Oreb of Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, named after the place he died. And Zeb, they killed at the winepress of Zeb, also named after the place that he died. They pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. As we stop there today, we see this moment of wanting to know what the Lord can do. And again, Gideon put out a fleece, and we're not going to bag on Gideon, because you have something, you don't need to do a fleece, because you have direct access to God by his Holy Spirit, to be led by his Spirit and the Word. And in this moment, to have this faith to know that God is faithful to his promise and he says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. 
that he has promised to be your shield and your reward, that he has promised to go before us, and the fact that he has proven that by the victory at the cross. It reminds me of how in 1 Samuel, Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or a few. And so Jonathan goes, hey, it's just me and you, and there's a whole army of Philistines over there. But God will down getting his guys to 300 men at 140 to 1 ratio. Apparently it has nothing to do with numbers. Let's go trusting in the Lord. Isaiah commenting on this moment. In chapter 9, verse 4 to 6 says, For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal was noisy from battle. The garments rolled in blood will be used for fuel to the fire. And this is the context, guys. This is where I want to end this today. So Isaiah commenting on this battle and God's victory using the trumpet and the pot. That becomes the setup for Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Guys, as we've gone through looking at who Gideon is and who God has declared him to be, It had nothing to do with Gideon's ability to perform or even his own issues of fear and anxiety, but God's faithful to his word to say, you are a mighty man of valor because I'm with you. And I I don't need a whole army, Gideon. I just need you to trust me and know that I will equip you for exactly what is needed in the moment. Because he says, I, I choose the things that the world would say is no value the things that the world would say are stupid and foolish. And he says, that's what I want to use to turn this world upside down. To use us, these earthen vessels, with the light of the glory of God so that he receives all glory and honor. So so let your light shine before all men that they may glorify our Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are, who you've declared us to be. And so as we come before you this morning, God, we just, we, we thank you for your faithfulness. Even when we struggle in our fear and anxiety, thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for showing up to give us the prescription and, and not pushing us aside. But Lord, that you deal right with it and, and you even give us the prescription, which is to know that you are with us, that we can bring these things before you. And Lord, that who we are in you is not in our ability to perform, but on your completed victorious work as shown by the cross in the empty tomb. So Father, I just pray that everyone here would know that your desire, Lord, is not to use them, to make them pay some price, but that you fully pay the price of blood to tear open the veil that we could have full access to you to be clothed in the garments of your righteousness. In your son's name, amen. The Cover to Cover series is part of No Mere Mortal. The No Mere Mortal ethos derived from the biblically grounded and inspired work of C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. You can find more No Mere Mortal content, including the Cover to Cover series, on our website at nomeremortal.org. Follow us on Twitter, Truth, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and most major podcasting services. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, leave a review, and share. 
The music you've heard has been provided by Sicko. That's C-I-K-K-0. And you can find him at YouTube at Sicko's Beat Sucks 797. My name is Bryce, and you are no mere mortal.